Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for episode number 532, Damien Eccles Speaks. This week's episode, as is the case with many of our interview episodes, there were not a lot of questions. There were a lot of opinions and comments, mostly all positive about Damien. And then, of course, there's always the, the negative questions about Damien from the same people that are negative about everything with the West Memphis Three but for the most part, the interview was very well received. People found it very interesting. But as I said, we don't have a lot of questions. I mean, hardly any. So what we decided to do was this follow-up is going to be very short. I don't know how long it's going to be, but probably 20 minutes or under. And because of that, we're not going to have any ads during this episode. We're going to give you just an ad-free episode where you can just listen to the little bit of content that we do have. And at the end of the few questions Mike has, I'm going to play for you a clip of Damien speaking last April in Arkansas. And this was during the time when Arkansas's drug they used for lethal injection was about to expire. So they wanted to execute eight people in a matter of about two weeks just because their their medication was about to expire. And Damien decided to go down to Arkansas to speak on the behalf to try to stop it and be part of the protest. So I'm going to let you hear that. I think it's a good as a follow-up, a little insight into Damien as a person because it's it's not an interview it's a place where he was very uncomfortable and and you kind of get a good feeling for the the struggles that Damien goes through on a daily basis and how hard that was for him. Uh, but with that being said, let's go ahead and get started with a few questions we have, Mike. Sounds good, Bob. Brianne says, do we know if Damien still has much contact with Jason or Jesse on a personal level? Damien never had much contact with Jesse on a personal level. They did have some contact, but they weren't close friends. They didn't spend a lot of time together. And I don't think they've spoken to each other in years. I could be wrong about that, but I, from, I've never really asked Damien, but I've, I've talked to Jesse. And I know yeah, but Jesse doesn't even own a phone, so n- nobody's talking to Jesse. Now, Jason and Damien, they, they are still close friends. They still speak on the phone. I, th- I think Damien told me that probably at least once a week they, they speak, either through text or on the phone. Uh, and they visited each other a couple of times, I think. But So, so they're, they're still friends, and they still stay in contact, but neither of them have any contact with Jesse, as far as I know. Sarah says, being as he was at the center of it, does Damien have a theory on the murders? 
Well, what's interesting about Damien is that he was at the center of it, but Damien probably knows the least amount about this case of anyone involved. Everybody reacts differently and everybody handles situations like this differently. And it was certainly, uh, if you someone who believes they were wrongfully convicted, went through a horrible, horrible experience for 18 years, still continuing to fight through it. Um, Damien has just kind of shut it out. You know, when he, when he got into prison, he didn't get through prison where, where like Jason was always working on how can we get exonerated and how can we clear our name and prove our innocence for Damien. I don't want to say, and I don't want to put words in his mouth either, but I don't want to say that he, he gave up by any means, but the only way that he was able to get through was to focus on the things that he talked about in this interview, which is, you know, for him, it's his faith ceremonial magic or you know the, there was a time when he was into buddhism and and the the wiccan belief but it was all for him about focusing on positive things and it still is for him about focusing on positive things so he he didn't put a lot of energy into the most negative thing that ever happened to him and and because of that he doesn't know a lot about the case you know i've i've had conversations with him early on about the crime scene or certain suspects or witnesses, and he just he doesn't know. He doesn't know much about it because you know he had people. You know, Lori is very his wife. Lori is very very well versed in the case, but Damien really isn't because his focus has always been on you know keeping his eye on something positive to try to get himself through this ordeal. Now that being said, he does know some things. I think that Damien has an inkling as to who he thinks committed the murders. But it's it's certainly nothing that he's going to speak about publicly. During the younger years of Damien and Jason, you know, when they're they're literally teenagers going through trials with the whole world seemingly, you know, hating on them and trying to kill them, and evidence seemed to point one way or another, you know, you can find old sound bites where they might have said, Well, this person looks guilty or that person looks guilty. But that was a long time ago before they really understood what happened to them. And I think you get a little bit of insight in that when you're watching, I don't remember if it was West of Memphis, I think it was Paradise Lost, when Mark Byers got on the stand and testified. You know, to that point, Mark had said a lot of horrible things about Damien, and Damien had said a lot of horrible things about him. Uh, it just wasn't, obviously, this man is accusing him of murdering his kid, Damien saying he didn't do it. Uh, but when Mark got on the stand, they interviewed Damien afterwards, or there was cameras caught his conversation with his lawyers afterwards, where he said, you know, after after seeing him get on the stand and, and actually speak, you know, he, he said that I see him as, as a real person now. It, it, it changes perspective on him. Um, but, but ultimately, any of these guys, now that they have gone through what they've gone through, not as teenagers, not understanding exactly what's about to happen to them and, and what the next 20 years of their life are going to be like, now uh, I don't think you'll ever see any of them point the finger at anyone unless there's clear and convincing evidence against someone that proves someone else did it. They're not about to make false accusations. And that, that being said, I, I do think that Damien has a few suspects in mind, but again, he's not going to commit a lot of his personal energy into that as much as he wants the case to be solved, just because it takes him to such a, a dark place. And it's, it's almost like restarting his grieving process. All right. Karina says, are Lori and other supporters still exploring the legal channels to prove their innocence? I'm wondering if they've just decided to try and live their lives. Also, I know they had a parole period. Could you please clarify how long that was for? And are there still ramifications for the West Memphis Three today regarding parole issues? Yeah, so let me go back to the beginning of that first. So a lot of that I covered in, in the last question. Yes, they're trying to move on with their lives. 
but at the same time, yes, there is still an effort going on, albeit behind the scenes, that, that we are now a part of trying to find out and prove who really killed Stevie, Michael, and Christopher. And there's also a lot more that was done in the past that many people don't know about that we'll be discussing when we move into the second half of our investigation here. Um, there's a lot that people don't know about it. People that think they know everything about this case really have only scratched the surface as to what has been done as far as the investigation. I mean, I personally was shocked to find out some of the things that have been done from working with everyone from Damien and Lori to Jason and John Harden to Rachel Geyser to, you know, speaking with, with guys like David Jacoby and Amy Berg, who produced West of Memphis and was heavily involved in the investigation there. Um, there's a lot more that was going on, and that effort is still ongoing. And then the second part of that question was about the parole. It's not parole. There is a probation period that was attached to the Alford pleas. So they were, you know, they, they took their pleas, but basically it's like what's known as deferred adjudication to where as long as it was a 10-year period and as long as they keep their noses clean, so to speak, for 10 years, everything's over. So that started in 2011. And so August of 2021, that period is over. They did get a very light probation all things considered, and the fact that they were able to move out of the state. And, you know, part of it was uh, during the negotiations were that, they, you know, they, they couldn't, one of their conditions where they couldn't associate with any convicted felons, uh, but they had it written into their agreement that they could communicate with each other. So like Jason and Damien could still speak, even though they're both convicted felons. But basically, if they, I don't know that it says specifically a felony, but if they are convicted of a crime during the 10-year period, then and I don't know where this number came from, but they would have imposed on them a 22-year prison sentence. So if either of them were to go out and, say, rob a convenience store and get arrested and convicted of a felony, then they would have to go back to prison for 22 more years. Uh, and so a lot of that is, you know, th that affects, too, the work. There's a lot of people that want to know, you know, they, they promised to find the real killers when they got out, and what are they doing, and why haven't they done anything about that? Some of that is because of this, too. I mean, they got to be careful not to make any waves. You know, they're finally free, and it wouldn't take much for them to get sent back to prison. That being said, it's not as, you know, Jesse Miss Kelly got in some trouble last year, I think it was, or early this year. His He now is taking care of his father, who has Alzheimer's and a knee replacement. Jesse doesn't have a driver's license, and I think he was picked up for driving without a driver's license or something along. It was a traffic violation, but it was a crime. Uh, and he was and he was arrested for it, and and everyone was concerned. Some some excited, depending on your side of the fence, and some concern that that would revoke his probation and he would go to prison for 22 years. But I, I believe it was Scott Ellington himself, the current DA, that uh, made a statement saying that that he wouldn't even consider sending him back to prison for something that minor, and doesn't think any judge would do that anyway. But yeah, they are still until 2021 on probation. It's like a deferred adjudication probation. So they could go back to prison for 22 more years if they commit a crime in the next, uh, what do we have left? About three years left. And while we're on the topic, listener Richard wanted me to verify with you that it's based on each individual and what they do, right? It's not like if one of them commits a crime, they all three go back to prison. Exactly right. Yeah. It's, everyone is on their own individual sentence. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Next, we have one from Joe. After the murders, is there anything that Damien would do differently if he were able to do it over? Well, I can't really speak for Damien, but from our conversations over the last nine months or so, I, I think that his attitude toward the police would have changed. I, I think that, and you heard him say that in the interview, that you know his attitude toward the police did not help him, did not do him any favors. It may not have made a difference, but had he been the typical bowing down to the the authority and not being a smart ass and not being aggressive with them uh, and not, you know, someone running his mouth, so to speak, or his actions of the trial. I think that that Damien regrets that. Um, again, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that's the impression that I get from the conversations that we've had about it. It certainly didn't help him. And as he said, it was kind of a, it was just a cycle because, you know, the way they were treating him, he would respond by mistreating them, which they would respond to by mistreating him. And it just kind of snowballed. Kimberly wants to know, what was Damien's relationship with the Hollingsworths? I don't think that he had much of one. I, th- I think that maybe with LG, that you know they were acquaintances, maybe friends. I'm not, I'm not really certain of that. But he certainly didn't have like a great relationship with the Hollingsworths. I think that's why uh, Nerlene was so quick to jump to point the finger at him is because, you know, if you read her statements and her, her interviews, she says that he, you know, he that he's a Satanist, he's a bad guy, and heard that he has six 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 on his shoes and things like that. So I think that it was more just rumor and innuendo from from Narlene to Damien. I don't think it was a personal relationship. Linda says, I remember reading once that after Damien was convicted, nobody bothered to file an appeal despite an execution date having been set. Who ultimately did the legal work for him after his original court appointed PD seemingly jumped ship? Well, I, I don't know exactly who it was that helped file the documents. But so when he was convicted, and this is how it always works, you know, he he's convicted in the winter of 94 and they set an execution date at that point for May 5th, 1994, just a couple months away on the anniversary date of the murders. But those never happen. Nobody's ever executed five months after their murder. It takes years and years and years because of the appeals process. But the first thing you have to do is put in for a stay of execution to allow time for the appeals. And Damien, according to Damien, his attorneys either didn't know they were supposed to or just didn't file that stay of execution. As he put it, they almost killed him on, on May 5th. They, the, the time was approaching and getting close. And I believe in, I think this is how I remember it, so don't take this as fact, uh, double check it. But I believe it was Jesse's attorney, Dan Stidham, who let both Jason and Damien know that they needed to file paperwork within certain time periods to begin the process of their appeals. Uh, but I don't know who who stepped in as the lawyers right there at that point. But I believe, and I think Damien even wrote about that in his book, that that Stidham was the one that that told him, hey, you've got to file this Rule 37 claim and the stay of execution and things like that. Alyssa says, if Damien were exonerated somehow, what compensation would he be entitled to for wrongful conviction? I don't know if he'd be necessarily entitled to anything. Arkansas is not a state like Texas where they have 
a, a wrongful conviction restitution law and fund. Uh, in Texas, it's very clear cut. You get if you are exonerated on actual innocence. I believe the number is you are compensated in a lump sum eighty thousand dollars for every year that you were wrongfully incarcerated, and then you continue to receive forty thousand dollars a year for the rest of your life. Arkansas does not have that. As a matter of fact, I think there's even legislation in Arkansas, and I haven't read this, but I've heard this. So again, this is something you should look up. But where they have legislation on the books saying they can't, even with a wrongful conviction, a proven wrongful conviction, that they can't be sued. I don't necessarily know if that's true because that was one of the things that Ellington said after the Alford plea was the the amount of money that he was saving the taxpayers because of the lawsuits that would come from a wrongful conviction. But I don't know what they would be entitled to. I mean, they should be entitled to something, but I think that unlike in Texas and Arkansas, they would have to fight for it. Okay, and Stacy says, does Damien feel that the Truth and Justice podcast can lead to a resolution in this case? Does he feel like Bob and listeners have really taken a hard look at things thus far? How has this investigation differed from any other approach he has experienced prior? Well, again, I don't want to put words into Damien's mouth, but we have asked this question in other interviews with him, and he's answered it. And first of all, I want to make clear, Damien doesn't listen to the podcasts. Damien does not, as I've said, he does not focus his energy on this case. And it's hard on him when we talk about him. He, he's, he struggles with bringing up these old demons. That's why he doesn't done... When he first got out, he traveled around with the West of Memphis and the screenings and did Q&A sessions. And then if you notice, he stopped speaking. He stopped doing that. It was, he didn't want to keep reliving this. And it took a lot to convince him to come on the show and do this. So that being said, Damien not listening to the podcast, uh, we do have conversations. And again, there's a lot happening behind the scenes that everyone's not aware of. But he knows what we're working on. He knows the reasons for the break. He knows what's coming next. And I would say, yeah, he believes that we have a good chance at actually solving this. And and I say that based on, Mike, you've seen, you know, when I was texting with him a couple of weeks ago, the emotion that he is experiencing knowing the efforts that are being put into this right now are kind of overwhelming. I think that he, I think he does believe that we have a chance to solve this thing. I think he desperately wants his name cleared. He wants this nightmare over. And I think that's why you've seen, you know, for those of you that are on social media, the support Damien's given to us. And that's, keep in mind, that's kind of blind blind support too, because again, he's not listening. He knows from our conversations, the work that we're doing. And it, it, it's trust in a lot of ways, I guess, you know, because I told him right from the beginning, I don't know if you guys are innocent or guilty, but what I'm doing is starting from the beginning and we are going to do the most, you know, our goal was, to do the most in-depth, detailed analysis of this case that has ever been done publicly. And, you know, there, there's a lot of people that don't like what we've been doing, and some people say that it's been too going on too long. But with that being said, at the conclusion of next week, we have 60 hours of podcast about this case. Details of this case that weren't in the documentaries, details of the case that weren't in West of Memphis. Now, those who have read Callahan's forward and backward, it's a lot of it's old news. Maybe not the analysis, but the actual information. But for the people that have just watched the documentaries, covered 60 hours of this. And it's all been digging into it and trying to paint the clear picture of what was happening. And part of our goal was this will be out there forever. It's not about making money for us. You know, we're we're not, you know, continuing to get paid for podcast we did a year ago or two years ago. But I, I want us to be a source when people want to learn about this case to come back and say, well, here is 60 hours of just an investigation on the investigation. And, you know, I told Damien that we were going to be doing that. 
and I did not make any promises to him that we were going to try to make him look good or we were going to try to prove his innocence, simply that we were searching for the truth. And I want to say, again, not speaking for Damien, that we have developed a trust where he's kind of given given his blessing as far as not that we needed a blessing for him to do what we're doing, but that, you know, do whatever you need to do, solve this case, end this nightmare, you have my support. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Bob, and then do you want to talk a little bit about the clip we're about to play? Yeah, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, as, as you guys have seen, this is a shorter one. Didn't have a lot of questions or not a lot of questions that we're ready to talk about right now anyway. But I do want to, as a follow-up, give you a little more information, a little more insight into Damien. And so what you're about to hear to conclude this episode, it's about six minutes long. And this is, and the audio is not really great, but it's pretty good. There's a few spots where it kind of cuts in and out. Um, but this is Damien when he, for the first time since he was, he was released in 2011, last year, April 2017, Damien returned to Arkansas to protest the killing, the execution of eight people. I found it very interesting. I found it kind of emotional to watch, especially it's on YouTube. If you want to watch it, you can kind of see Damien struggle through this. But uh, I thought it was interesting. Give you something guys to listen to, to kind of give you a little more insight into Damien. And then on Sunday in two days will be the last main episode. We will have one more follow-up, but it's the last main episode for the first half of our season on the West Memphis three episode five thirty three will be titled case closed on the West Memphis three. I guess uh, first, I just want to say thank you to, to everybody who showed up today for this. Uh, you know, I know there's probably uh, a lot of other places you'd rather be than here. I know I probably would. Um, but thank you so much everybody, for being here. Um, you know, I still have I still have nightmares. I still have panic attacks about this place. I still, you know, sometimes have dreams that I'm uh, trapped up in the bureaucratic labyrinth of corruption that passes for a justice system here. And when I, I, I you know, I, I don't want to come, I didn't want to come back, but when I heard about the conveyor belt of death that the politicians were trying to set in motion, I guess I knew that I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't come back and try to do something. You know, if I were to just sit around and, and let these people be killed, I would have to think about that for the rest of my life. Thank you, guys. You know, and I don't want to diminish or simplify anybody's pain. I understand that the victims' families go through a lot of pain when they're having to deal with things like this. But I wanted to say that for me, you know, the men that they're trying to murder, they're not just stories that I read about in the local newspaper. 
or, or something I saw on the news. You know, these are people that I lived with for almost 20 years. I've seen them at their best, I've seen them at their worst. I've seen them laugh, I've seen them cry. And strangely enough, it was these guys that they're getting ready to execute, the ones that the local politicians would tell you are irredeemably evil, that can't be saved or redeemed. These are the people who showed me more kindness, compassion, and generosity than any of the good people that are trying to kill them ever did. You know, for uh, 18 years and 76 days, that's how long I was trapped in hell here. The local politicians tried to execute me. Even when DNA testing came out that excluded me and the other two men that they had convicted from the scene of the crime, they still kept trying to kill me. After DNA testing came out, I sat on death row for two more years while they tried to figure out how they could kill me and not have to admit they had made a mistake. These people would have murdered an innocent person without a second thought if it meant that they could further their political careers or keep their jobs. You know, that's the level of, of corruption that's inherent within the system. Some of the, the men that kill this time, you know, I'm not here to tell you that they're all innocent because some of them aren't. But some of the men that they're trying to kill this time, they're mentally ill. You know, you're, you're talking about people who are so insane that they don't even really comprehend where they are or why they're here. They're not even you know, remotely connected to reality in any sort of way whatsoever. But the state wants to tell us that being mentally handicapped doesn't mean anything. They don't have any qualms with murdering people who have the intellect of a child who, who, or who belong in a mental health facility. You know, one of these men that they're getting ready to kill was pimped out by his own mother at the age of 12, and he's been the victim of sexual assault his entire life. Another one believes that being executed is the way that God's preparing him to be a minister. The horror stories that I saw while I was in the Arkansas judicial system, it goes on and on and on. I could tell you horrible story after horrible story all day long. But the state wants you to praise them for executing people with an IQ of 69. They want you to see that and see how tough on crime they are. So see them. See them. See what they're doing. Witness what they're doing. And then in return, let them know how tough on corruption you can be. They may very well, they may very well win this battle. You know, we're all here today to try to keep the state from killing people. They may go through with it despite our best efforts, despite everyone here doing everything they can. They may still very well do it. But you can turn this victory into ashes in their mouth. Let it be a Pyrrhic victory. You know, during the next election, turn them out and send them packing. And if the ones that come into office in their place are no less morally bankrupt than these, then turn them out too. Keep doing it. Keep voting them out until you have leaders who actually have conscience, intelligence, strength, and can govern with compassion. Uh, I'm going to keep this short. I'm going to wrap this up. I just want to close up by saying thank you to everybody that's gathered here today. You know, you're, you're gathered here in the face of, of hatred. You're gathered here in the face of corruption.
And one day, history will show that you had the strength, courage, and fortitude to show up when it mattered. That you didn't simply bow down and lick the boots of those in authority. I just want to say that I salute you. I stand in solidarity with you. Thank you so much. And... Thank you. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is your executive producer, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Amanda Meyer of Willow Photo and Designs for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. And a special thanks to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. And also a big thank you to our transcription team, Sarah Mueller, Anna Dindorf, Britta Bliss, and Stephanie McConnell. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 a month. And we also have reward levels on the Patreon page that include access to the behind-the-scenes videos of the taping of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can follow along on Twitter at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on the case. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.